0: mm <music> To have you at church with us again this morning to worship Jesus together today. It is Palm Sunday, so we are now getting ready. I heard a cheer. That's awesome. So we are getting ready, uh, right, to, to prepare our hearts and our minds for the the eternity changing event of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And uh, so, don't let this week go by, right? Don't let this week go by without spending time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, studying, spending time reading, reflecting on the events of this week in Jesus' life. And allow God just to remind you of that wonderful sacrifice that changed everything for you and for me and for the world. And so... Be intentional this week about opening God's word and and just really reflecting on the different events that take place this week in the life of Jesus as we're getting ready for his resurrection. Um, So it's Palm Sunday. So today we're going to be looking and focusing our attention on the arrival of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. I'm going to ask that you turn with me to uh, John, John chapter 12. Before we go any further, though, just uh, take a moment and pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for this time to come together as a church and to open up your word. Father, I pray that you cause us to hear and to learn and to understand what you want us to learn today as we open up your living word. We thank you so much for this wonderful privilege of, of hearing from you. Of spending time with you today. May, may the name of Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, Palm Sunday, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's riding a donkey, and it's important for us to keep in mind a couple things, though. Jesus is not the only one going to Jerusalem on this day in history. It is packed full, all right? The city of Jerusalem has got many, many people who have come from all over the region to celebrate Passover. Um, On the low end, I studied, uh, or during my time of study, some people mentioned about 300,000 in Jerusalem. Some people mentioned 2 million in Jerusalem. So I narrowed it down for you. You get to pick. Between 300,000 and 2 million people were there in the city of Jerusalem, but it was bursting at the seams. All the inns were full. uh, The streets were packed. The stores were busy. Uh, I'm sure there were different campsites and tents popping up all around the countryside of Jerusalem for people to go to Jerusalem during Passover. And so there's a lot of activity going on. And Jesus comes on on this Sunday, before his death, to celebrate Passover there in Jerusalem. Something else to keep in mind is that, as far as we know, this was the seventh time. This Sunday was the seventh time that Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem during his time on earth. Uh, there could have been more, uh, but seven times it's recorded. Um, six before this one, and again, this Sunday... Palm Sunday. This would be his seventh time. Um, Keep in mind also that once Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he doesn't stay there the whole week. There's There's this little village two miles east of Jerusalem. So on Sunday, he goes in to Jerusalem, and then Sunday night, he goes back to Bethany, and he goes to sleep. Monday, same thing. Tuesday, same thing. Wednesday, there's no record of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. So we assume that he stayed in Bethany. Thursday, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, celebrates the Passover with his disciples, goes to the garden, gets arrested, puts on trial, he gets put on trial. Friday, he's crucified. Sunday, he raises from the dead. And it all starts with this Sunday, Palm Sunday, as he rides that donkey into Jerusalem. So, I'm going to ask that you follow along as I read John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and said on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. So as Jesus is riding his donkey, not his donkey, but a donkey, into the city of Jerusalem, there are three important statements that he makes, not with his words, but with his actions. This morning I want us to look at those those statements, those declarations that he was making on his trip riding a donkey into Jerusalem. The first thing I want us to be aware of is Jesus declared his kingship. Jesus declared his kingship. So how is Jesus declaring his kingship doing this? Well, the first thing he does is he rides a donkey. He rides a donkey. And some of you are thinking, Dan, kings don't ride donkeys. Kings ride horses. (laughs) And yes, you're right. Kings ride horses, especially at this time. But also during this time, if it was a time of peace, a king would ride a donkey to be able to display and show his kingdom that they were enjoying a time of peace. So Jesus is riding this kingly animal. Most of the time now I think we think donkey, we think Eeyore, right? But this was a good, this was a good noble beast at this time that a king would ride. And this is not the only time that we see a king or or some kind of important figure or person riding a donkey or a mule in the Bible. 1 Kings chapter 133 mentions Solomon riding a mule on the day he was recognized as the new king of Israel. These are some other verses you can look up sometime if you want. Judges 5.10, Judges 10.4, Judges 12.14. Those are all different accounts of people riding mules or donkeys who were people of influence or kings or uh, just important people. And in 2 Samuel 16.2, King David's household received donkeys as a gift for them to ride. So this is not the first time that we see a, a king or an important person riding a donkey. There's something else that Jesus did on this day where he was declaring his kingship. And that's in verse 13 we see it. It's not so much what he did, but it's more of what he allowed So John, uh, chapter 12, verse 13, it says that the people were shouting out, Blessed is the king of Israel. The people were calling him king. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now think about this. This is the first time, first time that I can find in the Bible, where Jesus allowed the crowds to exalt him. The other times that started to happen, he squashed it. He said no, or he left. But this day is different. Now he's allowing them to call him king. So why is that? Well, for a couple reasons. One, because it's true, right? Jesus is king. But something was going on here. These people were calling him king. They thought he was going to be an earthly king. What they were thinking in their head was not right. But their words were definitely true. Jesus was king. He is king. He will be king forever. They didn't know what they were saying was accurate, but it most definitely was. Jesus is king. There's something else happening here at this at this important point in time. It says that in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 13, it says, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. If we read the same story in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 8, it says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Again, this is not the first time that we see something like this happening in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, we read that Jehu, when he was crowned king, the people of Israel put their cloaks on the ground so that Jehu could, could like walk over it, and then they shouted out, Jehu is king, Jehu is king. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it, to this story. Here's Jesus. And he's riding a donkey. People are placing their cloaks on the ground, waving palm branches, maybe putting some palm branch, some palm branches on the ground, and declaring him king. It's very important. Why is it so important that Jesus allowed them to declare him king on this day? Why now? He'd been teaching and living with these people for For three years, teaching teaching his word, teaching truth, teaching God's truth. But today is different. Today he allows it. Jesus was doing something by allowing it. First off, he was allowing truth to be proclaimed. But something else. Jesus was working these Pharisees into such a state of frenzy that there was no way. They were going to allow Jesus to get through that week without dying. They hated him. These Pharisees hated him. And now they see him, Jesus, being treated like a king, riding a donkey like a king would do, being declared a king by the people, people waving palm branches, laying their cloaks on the ground for him to ride over on a donkey, And they hated it. And there was no way they were going to allow Jesus to survive that week. And that's exactly how Jesus wanted it to be. The date on the calendar had been circled since the beginning of time. The city had been carefully picked out. Jerusalem. The events of that week... All carefully designed by God. Jesus was not just haphazardly half-hazard, making his way through this. This was all carefully ordained from the beginning of time. Every detail. Every detail. And when Jesus came riding in on that donkey, he put it all in motion and sped it up fast. Now things were really starting to go. Very intentional. And it had to be Friday. It had to be Friday that Jesus died. Why Friday? Because Friday was the Passover. That was the day when all the spotless lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the people. And God had a lamb to sacrifice. Not for his sins, he had no sins. He had a lamb, his son, to sacrifice for you and for me and it had to be Friday because that was Passover all carefully planned out and the first time that we learn about a Passover lamb being sacrificed was way back in Exodus chapter 12 the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt God's about to set them free and God tells Moses, to tell the Israelites, I am bringing the 10th plague. I want you to have all the Israelites kill a spotless lamb. Take the blood, spread it on the doorpost over every house. Every house that has that blood on it, their firstborn son will be spared. But any house that does not, their firstborn son will be killed that night. So the death angel passes over Egypt. And the firstborn son of all the Egyptians, every one of them, died. But all of God's people, the Israelites, experienced God's protection. Because of the shed blood of that lamb on those doorposts. That's the Passover. Many years later, Jesus was that lamb. And his blood spread on a wooden cross for the sins of people for all time. No more sacrifices necessary. It had to be Friday. There's something else Jesus is doing as he's riding that donkey into Jerusalem. He's he's showing us that Jesus offers peace. Jesus offers peace. So as I noted already, he came riding a peaceful animal, a donkey, right? There's something else that takes place. Flip over now to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. In verse 38... In verse 38, it says that the crowd was shouting, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As Jesus was riding that donkey into Jerusalem. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So again, the crowd, this this huge crowd, was saying that Jesus was going to bring peace. And yes, they were right again, but not in the right way. They thought he was going to bring peace political peace they were tired of the Roman occupation they had had enough they wanted to be independent they wanted to do their own thing and the Romans kept a very tight watch on them they were under the control of the Romans so as Jesus is riding into town the Jews of that day thought man we got our man we got our man finally we got someone who can help us stand up to the Romans they've seen his miracles they've heard everything he can do They're thinking, finally, we got to deliver. And he said, peace in the highest. And they were right. He was going to bring peace. Again, their mind thought earthly peace. Jesus knew it was eternal peace with God. Their minds weren't right, but what they said was definitely correct. Jesus brings peace. For the past three years of Jesus' life, he had been teaching the people that he was the way to have peace with God, that he was the only way to have peace with God. He was telling them that he had come so that they could have a relationship with their Creator, with God. But now he tells them, I've been teaching you these things But now it's too late for you. He says, it is hidden from your eyes. He's telling them, the time has come. You you missed your opportunity. Friends, how about you? How about you? Do you have peace with God? Are you in a right relationship with your creator? God is still making it available to you today. Do you know him? Have you come into a right standing with God? There's something else Jesus is doing on that donkey as he's riding into Jerusalem. He is fulfilling prophecy. Fulfilling prophecy. As we look a little more closely at a few of these verses... Uh, that we're going to dive into in just a minute. We see that Jesus fulfilled a couple of very important prophecies. All the prophecies are important, but he fulfilled a couple more. Now think about this. Over Jesus' lifetime on earth, he fulfilled 300 different prophecies, 300, over 300 different prophecies, written by different men, different times, different backgrounds, living uh, or Like over the span of 1,500 years. 1,500 years. And on this day, Jesus fulfilled another prophecy. I want us to look at Zechariah 9.9. This is the the passage that was quoted in the first passage we read. When I read it, you'll recognize what I'm saying. This was written 500 years before Jesus rode that donkey. Think about 500 years years. Friends, can you imagine what the world's going to be like 500 years from now? Not a chance. Is God even going to allow this world to be around in 500 years? No one knows. But I'll tell you what, I, can, I can't even imagine what the world will be like 500 years from now, much less give any kind of prediction about a certain event uh, to a certain person on a certain place with certain things happening. Just, it's impossible aside from the work of God. And that's what we see here. Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is one of those times where you should be reading that and just going, wow, wow. 500 years before Jesus rode that donkey. These words were written. And listen to how exact this prophecy was fulfilled. Listen to this. Jesus rode a donkey. But not just any donkey. A cult of a donkey. And he wasn't just riding around the countryside out doing something. No, he rode it into Jerusalem. He rode the colt of a donkey into Jerusalem being declared a king. It's all right there in these verses. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before he did it. Now, I'm going to take you further back in time. Think about this. 1,500 years before. 1,500 years. This is what Genesis 49, 10 through 11, these are the words of Abraham written by Moses. In Genesis 49, starting at verse 10, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choice's branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. This is a direct prophecy of Jesus, 1,500 years before it happened. Why is that important? Why do we need to know that? It shows us the sovereignty of God. And that should bring us great peace. Great peace. That the God we worship is sovereign. He is is in control of all things. Not just some things. There's not an event in this world. There's not an event in your life that goes on without him knowing it and allowing it to happen think about that in a crazy crazy world we have peace knowing that the god we worship is allowing it nothing happens without his permission nothing Man, if that doesn't give us joy and peace as we live our lives out each day, I don't know what will. Take strength and hope and courage in that fact. Nothing. Complete sovereignty. So what does this all mean for us, these these verses, this story? What can we apply to our lives from this passage today? Friends, it's important for us to realize these things. Not only was Jesus King then, he is king today. Not only was he offering peace then, he's offering peace to us today. Not only was he fulfilling prophecy then, he is continuing to fulfill prophecy today. This book, this book has tells us about the future. And Jesus is still at work. He's still still fulfilling prophecy. Let me show you how I mean that. In Luke 19, verses 37 through 40. Luke 19, 37 through 40. I want you to follow along as I read these verses. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully So here's Jesus, and he's at, and he's cresting the top of the Mount of Olives. And from that view, he can see the entire city of Jerusalem, that beautiful city with the temple, with the mass of humanity that is in there at this time. And he's looking out at this huge crowd, this beautiful city. And at that time, his heart starts to break. His heart starts to break about what he sees. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's a couple of ways people read that verse or interpret that verse. Some people read it and they think, Jesus, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, that if he was to cause his disciples and that enormous crowd to settle down and to stop declaring his praises, some people think that Jesus is saying, if I do that, these stones will cry out and begin to worship me, begin to praise me. And that is certainly possible. Jesus could have done that just in an instant. He can certainly give voices to stones. He could give voices to leaves or trees, whatever he wants to do. And so that is true. Jesus could do that. But the way I understand it, there was another meaning that Jesus was was, uh, saying as he said those words. Let's keep reading. Verse 41 says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. The Greek word translated into wept is, is the strongest form of grief that the Greek language had. It's not, you know, he, he's, he's shedding a tear, getting a little choked up. No, it is a heartbreaking, gut-wrenching weep, weeping, sobbing. He's he's broken in his spirit as he looks out at the city of Jerusalem. Jesus looks out and sees all these people. He sees that beautiful city. Friends, I think he's thinking to himself, I've been telling you. I've been telling you the truth. I've been telling you how to have peace with God through me. But you won't listen. You don't hear me. You don't understand. You, have, you are receiving me as an earthly king. Jesus is saying, I don't want to be an earthly king. I am a heavenly king. I have so much more for you than being your earthly king, but you don't hear me. You don't listen. And Jesus looks out over that crowd, that huge crowd, and he's weeping, he's heartbroken. Then in verse 33, it says, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What is Jesus talking about in these verses? He's giving a prophecy of an event that would happen 40 years later. In 66 A.D., the Jews in Jerusalem had had enough. And they started a revolt against the Romans. They were making a statement. We are done with Rome. We want our independence. We want our sovereignty. We want to be free. We want to do a." we feel we should do, not be ruled by Rome. Four years later, in 70 AD, that brought the Roman soldiers to Jerusalem. And for five months, five months, the Roman soldiers circled the city of Jerusalem. They did not allow anything or anyone in or out. They were starving the people inside Jerusalem. After they were too weak to fight, The Roman soldiers tore through the walls of Jerusalem, slaughtered everybody, man, woman, child, the unborn child, all of them. Tore down the temple, tore down the walls, set them on fire. The city of Jerusalem was unrecognizable. Think about that now as I read these verses again. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow. So when Jesus is sobbing, And talking about the stones crying out. He is thinking ahead to those events. And his heart is broken because the people of Jerusalem were not listening. They were not hearing him. And his heart is broken. Let me make this personal for us today. Have you you made God your king? Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Have you come to the point in your life where you become so desperate that you tell God, God, I cannot do this on my own. Please be in charge of every part of my life. Not just Sunday mornings. Control it all. Be my king. Sit on the throne of my heart. Have you come to the point in your life where you've understood that God loves you so much he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins? The perfect, spotless lamb of God. Shed his blood on that cross so that you can have peace with him. Have you made peace with God in your life? Do you have peace? Because the sin of your life has been removed, that barrier has been taken away, and you have a, a relationship with God. And do you understand? Jesus, Jesus is still fulfilling his plan. He is still at work. Have you taken those steps? Have you made him your savior? Is he your king? Friends, you know what else took place on the Mount of Olives? Not long after Jesus rides in to Jerusalem. 47 days later, actually. Jesus Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. But it gets more interesting. If you read the Bible, back in Zechariah 14.4, it tells us something else very important is going to happen on the Mount of Olives. Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14.4 says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Bible says he will reign on the throne of David. I take a very literal interpretation of that verse, and I take it to mean that Christ will set up his throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. And it all starts when he comes back to the Mount of Olives. The next time Jesus comes back, he won't be riding a donkey. He'll be riding a horse. And he will come with judgment. He will come with righteousness and strength and power. Revelation 19 says this, starting in verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on, a white, ho- riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is the sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, my thoughts aren't so much on the future as they are on the present. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. Declaring he is king. Declaring that he offers peace. Declaring that he is fulfilling prophecy. Have you come to understand him that way? Is he your king? Or is he someone you visit on Sunday mornings? Does he control all of your life or just a couple of things you're comfortable giving over to him? Do you allow his word to be your guide? Is this what you live by? Or do you have to dust it off when you visit it? Is he your king? people of Jerusalem that day were trying to make him king, earthly king. Jesus is saying, I've got so much more. You don't even get it. Is your life fully surrendered to him? Does he control your life? Do you let him? I'm not saying it's easy all the time, but do you live in a state of surrender? Saying, God, perform your will in my life today. What do you want me to do? How should I live my life for your glory today? That's what it means to make Jesus your king. He's controlling all of it. He came for that reason. And do you have peace with God? He's giving you an opportunity right now to ask for your sins to be forgiven, to begin a relationship with Him, to make things right with Him. We are not promised tomorrow. But He's giving you today. And if you're here today and you have never asked for His forgiveness of your sins, and surrendered your life to him. Don't leave here without doing that. Bow your heart, bow your mind right now and say, God, thank you. Thank you for doing what I cannot do. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the sacrifice of my sins. God, forgive me of all my sin. Too many to name. Through the death and resurrection of your son. And God, take my life and be in charge of it. Do it today if you've never done it. Enjoy and experience the joy and the peace, the confidence, the rest from knowing A sovereign God loves you and will guide you every step of the way. It is such a wonderful place to be in. So much joy and contentment when you make God your king and enter into peace with him. I hope everyone here in this room and online has already come to that place. If you have not, do it today. Allow him to be your savior and your king. And look forward, look forward to eternity as Jesus continues to live out the many prophecies and weaving his perfect will throughout history. Do it today. This Friday, come back. Come back Friday. We're going to spend time focusing on the death of Jesus Christ. Sunday morning, we'll gather again. God willing, we'll gather again. Celebrate the event that changed all of history. Past, present, future. The resurrection. Join with me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for your amazing love to us, given to us. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But we are in desperate need of it. Father, for anyone here in this room today who has not surrendered their life to you, may this be that day. God, some of us here are struggling with allowing you to be on the throne of our life. Cause us to let loose, to place faith and trust in you for everything in our life, whatever it might be. Father, we look forward to seeing you face to face someday. We don't live in fear of that day because of the death and resurrection of your son. We can look forward to that day. God, I pray that everyone here live with joy and peace in anticipation of the return of Christ and living with you for all eternity. Thank you for being so wonderful, so loving, so compassionate so holy we love you in jesus name amen